Well, we're going to, Rachel and I are kind of inviting you into our living room today, and we just want to have a chat together and with you. I really want to challenge you before we begin. You're going to be hearing stories about India, and you're going to be hearing some of the stories of our life, and you're going to be hearing some local stories. But I want you to ask the Lord right now, how does this apply to me in my life? How am I going to take this today and go out and be a disciple who makes disciples? How am I going to use this today to know more about the mission God has me on? You know, the term missionary, sometimes we get a really funky definition. Think it's somebody who goes far away and leaves their home, and that's part of it. That's part of it. And Rachel's call and my call are to go to foreign countries. But mission really means being passionate about a purpose. And it means one who is sent. And if every one of us here are not passionate about the purpose of the kingdom, then we need to have a heart check. And if every single one of us don't feel that call to go, and maybe it's to go to your neighbor, maybe it's to go to a small child you know, I don't know. But we are all sent by God. And God is calling every single one of us. So I want you to keep that in mind as Rachel and I are talking today. And just keep asking the Lord, who do you have for me to bring the love of Christ? Well, Rachel, it's just a joy to have you here. We had a dinner here last night for Rachel and Dinesh. And they have four beautiful children But Rachel and Dinesh have been in Himachal Pradesh for many years, and you'll hear the stories. It's a very, very dark place in the world, and God has anointed them and appointed them greatly for this work. We um, met Rachel and Dinesh, and I see several of you out there who were on the team, but there were 15 of us from Bridgewood who went and uh, worked with them And our hearts fell in love with them and just with what God is doing in that area. I have such a passion for India. Some of you know, some of you don't. But my mom's family was in the occult, and so I went through some awful things as a little girl. And then I married a man who became very, um, very, very wicked and was heavily involved in all types of Eastern philosophy, but eventually settled into Hinduism. So I feel like I have a heart connection with Rachel. We're both American girls, but God has given us a passion for the Hindi people to see the light of Christ come. And so we have a video that we want to show you that explains a little bit about their ministry. So is there any introduction you'd like to give before we take a look at this, Rachel? Um, Well, the video just... We'll share with you a little bit about what we're doing in that area and a little bit about our ministry forefront. And after that, I'll, I'll get more into kind of how God led us there and our personal testimony. Forefront Mission is working in the least evangelized state of North India. A land known for beauty and darkness, where every mountain peak is dedicated to a Hindu god. (laughs) 
There are six million people of different tribes and languages, and the majority of the population is devoted to idol worship and witchcraft. There is less than one believer for every thousand residents. Thousands of villages are still waiting to hear the gospel. The harvest is ready, but the workers are few. Forefront Mission is making a difference in this area of the world by training and discipling local indigenous church planters to reach their people groups for the Lord. These church planters work among their own people groups, bringing the gospel to the unreached. They are involved in village and town church planting movements, and in the last 15 years, have planted 80 strong churches in three North Indian states. Forefront has seen an amazing growth in the churches in North India, and in 2012 witnessed more than 700 baptisms and a thousand decisions for Christ. Many of these decisions for Christ come from families that have spent generations in witchcraft and idol worship, never knowing the truth until a forefront missionary went to share the gospel with them. One strategy the Lord gave Forefront Mission in reaching the unreached people groups has been sewing centers, beautician centers, and music schools. Through these centers, men and women are not only equipped with a valuable trade, but taught daily God's Word through Bible study and prayer. Ninety-five percent of the men and women that attend these trainings accept the Lord before the end of the ten-month training. just gets my heart all stirred up. <laughs> what a joy it was to be there with them and the worship, oh, to worship with the people just was just the most wonderful experience. So I know though, even though God calls us all to be missionaries, all to go on his mission, 
We also feel that God is really kind of up the ante around here about us being a church that really does mission together. And we kind of um, have labeled it being an extended family on mission. And to be a family, you have to really know each other. And we're working hard at that through our discipleship groups, our huddles, small groups, really becoming transparent with each other. And then coming together to really work in the kingdom and to really make a difference for Jesus Christ right where we are, just individually but also corporately. But I know such an important part for me, Rachel, of my life and my story was that God sent other people to me to encourage me. And because of being married to this man who was involved in all these wicked things, I had years of just hopeless despair Years where I was very suicidal, and I didn't know how I was going to get through life. And I remember once that um, I was working at Gannett Newspapers, and kind of out of the blue, I got this big promotion. But my new boss was a Christian, and through her, I knew that God saw me, that he saw me. And in my home, the name of Jesus could never be talked about, could never be mentioned. But with this new boss, her name was Kathy, I started to kind of sneak out with her and go to Bible studies, and we'd take our lunch and study the Word. And she knew. It was like without words, she knew. And the very first Bible study that we did together was how to hear the voice of the Lord and how to walk a Spirit-filled life. I desperately needed that. There's been so many other times where even when God is calling me like to go to Cabo or go to Indonesia, Um, He puts people in my path that minister right back to me. And isn't that how it should be as the body? We're doing this together. We're in this together. And at Bridgewood, we believe in the priesthood of believers. It's not a hierarchy. It's not about pastors and missionaries doing the work. It's the body of Christ. We're together in this. And so I'm just wondering, Rachel, what that's been like for you Mm-hmm. How God has sent people, you know, into your life before you made the commitment to India, and and currently, how is He doing that? Sure. Well, I am. Um, I'm actually a Midwestern girl. Grew up right here in the Midwest in Kansas City, and um, I um, didn't grow up in a real strong Christian family. Um, we were the type of family that you'd see on Christmas and Easter every year. And but when I was in high school, my parents moved to Florida. And it was there that I met a girl in school who um, just really was strong in her faith and invited me to church. And I was um, in a mission conference um, when I heard a man share about the people of India. And it was in that night that I really rededicated my life to the Lord and felt a call to full-time missions to India specifically. So my very first missions trip was to India as a senior in high school. And, um, you know, I didn't have a real supportive family. My parents didn't really understand all that was going on in my life. But, um, you know, God brought different people throughout the years who could just speak into my life and encourage me. My grandmother was very supportive. She always um, just encouraged me that you have a call on your life. And even now, you know, as you've seen the the video and you see about the ministry and the work that we're involved in, you know, those people who come out to us... um, 
and just strengthen us in what we're doing. You know, I'm reminded in Exodus 17:12 when Moses was holding his arms up and his arms became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. And so Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses holding up his hands so his hands held steady until the sunset. And that's how it is for us when teams come and we, um, the Lord has brought different people to speak into our life and just to see us as real individuals and people. Um, just because we're called to be foreign missionaries doesn't make us any different than um, what you're called to right here in the U.S. or wherever God would have you as an individual call. And we're just obedient to what God has called us to. So those people that come and encourage us, and I know when Bridgewood came, we were so encouraged um, just how they ministered to us as a family. Yeah. Well, thanks, Rachel. I, I know that in a call for every single one of us sitting here that God speaks to us. He promises us that his sheep hear his voice. And there's been so many times in my life where he has used other people. He still does, and I love that. He uses people to speak into my life to confirm things that he's been speaking to me. But I also know that there's been times where he has spoken so clearly. A good example of that for me was I was in a corporate position from a world standpoint, I was, I was pretty set for life. They had an incredible pension plan. But I knew that my time was getting very short until one day I totally heard God say, this is the time. I want you to step out. It didn't make any sense. I didn't have any explanation for it. But I stepped out in total obedience to the Lord because I did not know what the next step was. I was a single parent. I was a sole uh, um, provider. Sole survivor. (laughs) Sometimes I felt like that. (laughs) Sole provider. But I I left because I knew God was calling me to do that. And you know what he did? (laughs) Two weeks later, I was on staff here at Bridgewood. If I had hung on to what I had, I wouldn't have been able to uh, experience all that God has had for me here. And so, Rachel, I know for you and your life and Dinesh, the testimonies that you guys have, that God has really divinely led you. And so can you share a little bit about how he's spoken to you and continues to speak to you? Sure. Well, I would like to give you a little bit of history about my husband and um, so you can understand where we're working. My husband is um, grew up in a Hindu family in the mountain region where we currently work, which is a very remote area. And as a as a small Hindu boy, he had, he had seven brothers and one sister. He was really seeking to know God and have a personal relationship with God. But nobody in this area could tell him about Christ. So he went to the Hindu temples, and he was um, talking to the priests, and he was, he was just really trying to find what it was to have a relationship with God. Well, through that journey, you know, he became very discouraged because there was no church, there was no body of Christ that could really lead him to the truth. And he became an atheist. Well, when he went to college, he was, um, you know, he was a very strong atheist at the time. He just had completely given up. He believed there was no God because nobody could tell him the truth. And he was, um, went into a restaurant, and he saw a woman from New York City who was sitting at a table reading her Bible. And, you know, he went up to her um, just to 
I mean, at the time, he said he just wanted to practice his English and just curious about um, her a little bit. And, and so they, they had a conversation, and she was able to share with him about Jesus. And this was the first time he had ever seen a Bible or ever even heard the name of Christ. And um, he listened, and he, you know, he said, well, that's really interesting, and that's really good for you, but, you know, I don't think it's for me. And so she went back to the U.S., and he continued with his studies. And a year later, he was in the same restaurant, and um, this woman was there again, and she was reading her Bible, and, you know, he went up to meet her again. And, you know, they had a long discussion and a long talk about, uh, about Christ and about her faith. But he said, you know, it was really nice meeting you, but I just don't think I'm interested in that. And it was a year later, actually, on her third visit that um, they met again at this restaurant, just, you know, completely divine appointment. It wasn't planned. And again, she shared with him about the Lord. But that night when he went home, he really felt like the Lord spoke to him and said, you know, you've been searching all these years since you were a small Hindu boy in the mountains of India looking for God. And here I am, I'm knocking at your door and you've, you've closed your heart to me. And so it was that night he couldn't sleep, and he he went quickly to her hotel room in the morning before she left and said, I need to experience this God. I need to know what it is to have a relationship with him. And she led him to Christ. And that was the beginning of his his walk. And, you know, as then he came down to Delhi, and, you know, he he, um, went to Bible school and and started serving. He really felt God calling him to full-time ministry. So he never um, joined the industry that he was trained for, but he did go into full-time missions. So it was eight years that he had been pastoring a church in New Delhi when I came and we met. And, um, you know, we just, um, you know, we, I spent a year in India and, and, you know, in India they have arranged marriages. So they don't really have the dating system. My husband made it very clear to me that in the first meeting he was looking for a wife. He doesn't understand yeah. American dating. <laughs> so, you know, so I had spent a year in India while we were courting, studied the language and, um, just to really know that, yes, this is what God has called me to, even as, um, you know, right when I was a teenager feeling God calling me to India, but was this really what I could spend the rest of my life doing? Um, Um, At the end of that year, you know, we came back. We were in Florida when we got married. And as we were traveling, we were traveling and visiting some friends. And we were in Tulsa when um, Dinesh went forward for prayer in a church. And I'll never forget him coming back and saying, Rachel, I really have, I've seen a vision of my village. And I feel God is calling me back to my people. And he's reminded me about how lost my people are. And there was a lot of fear in that too, because you know we were we were settled. He was pastoring a church. We could have just easily gone back and just you know just gone right into what he was already doing in New Delhi. But God had planted a vision into our heart, and yet you know we knew it was such an unreached area, yeah. a very very unreached area. It's very remote, and um, you know the culture will change from village to village. The people groups, the even the gods that they worship are just so diverse and we knew that we could not go to this area with our own mind and our own thinking and God reminds us you know in Isaiah 55 8 it says my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts says the Lord and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine and that is what the Lord really spoke to us that if we go there with our thinking and our mindset you know we maybe you know maybe we will be successful to some point but if we wait on God you know he's going to really lead us and guide us and um, we decided that we would go and we would just bathe the area in prayer and really build a foundation through prayer um, before we would start any work. So we were praying and we prayed for many, many months and, you know, we were discouraged at times. We felt alone, but, you know, God did bring teams with us and we had nothing for them to do. We had no 
no church for them to preach in, no pastor's conference, nothing, but, but they would come. They prayed with us. They were faithful to stand with us through those months of prayer. And, you know, we met many people um, through that time. It was 16 months that we had been praying when we were just really discouraged, and we felt like, Lord, can't we do something? Can't we start something here? But, um, you know, my husband was walking on the road, and he saw a woman with this river stone, and she was hitting it with a hammer, trying to make it into gravel for the roadside construction. And he thought, wow, what a useless effort, you know. Here she's hitting this big stone with this small hammer. Is that really going to do anything? But God spoke to him through that, that in your time of prayer, you are, you're not able to see the impact of what you're doing. But that stone that she was hitting actually did eventually turn into pieces. And in the same way, our prayer, every time we pray, we are making an impact on that hard spiritual stone in that area. So it is um, a very difficult place. It's known as a mission graveyard where many missionaries have gone and they've come back discouraged, depressed. Um, You know, there was a man many years ago who actually brought the apple seed to Himajal as a missionary but lost his faith when he fell in love with a Hindu girl. So, um, you know, we knew that it would be a very difficult place. What we did, we went in there and we bathed that area in prayer. And after 18 months, God spoke to us that we should train and disciple the local indigenous pastors, local indigenous workers, because through them we would see churches planted. Um, You know, even my husband is from that area, but let's say you walk five hours to the next village, your language will change, sometimes the food, the culture, the gods they worship. But as we raise up leaders within those villages, then we would see churches planted. So that was really um, what God spoke to us to do after that 18 months of prayer. And we began, um, we kind of sent out the invitations, we called the people to to come for our first training, but only four came, and the Lord said, don't despise a small beginning, and we felt God was in that, so we trained those four like we were training a hundred, and they went out, and they brought more, and you can see from the video that today, you know, the Lord is doing an amazing work, and we're just so honored to be a part of it. Yeah, it's so amazing how he always, always goes before us, and he prepares places, and he prepares people, and I love how he talked to the disciples in John 10 where he said, go and find the homes of peace. And when you find those houses of peace, stay there. Stick with them. Seed into that. But he also said if you go and you don't find that, to shake the dust off your feet. And I know in my life I've spent um, a lot of time sometimes sowing into the wrong places and how important it is that we let God uh, sow uh, sow into us so that we can sow into those he's leading us to. had a cool experience with my six-year-old granddaughter about a month ago. And it's just keeping your eyes open to those around you that may need a touch from Jesus. This was such a simple thing. But there was a woman in line at Target in front of us, and um, she was leaning on her basket, and it became very apparent something was wrong, and found out they had just called an ambulance. And so I started to walk away with my granddaughter, and I just sensed God say, no, go back. And so we just went, and we said, can we pray for you? And, oh, she said, please do. She was fearful. She was in pain. And so Brittany, my little six-year-old granddaughter, and I had the opportunity to pray for this woman. I don't know what happened. I don't know the outcome, but I do know it was a God moment. And so... We've been trying to be deliberate here at Bridgewood in letting God lead us to those people and really being watchful of those people. 
So how has that been for you and Dinesh, Rachel, as he's led you through that process? Sure. Well, we have, um, you know, there's many villages that we've gone into, and we have just felt like, wow, the door is really closed yeah. there. Um, I'm reminded of, a, of one particular town called Renuka, and it's a lake, and around the lake there's all these temples. And it seemed like whenever we would go there for prayer, the, the Hindu gods would just get all riled up, and the demons in the area and, and, and the bells in the temples would start going off. And we just had really felt like that was a closed door. We still tell today, you know, we don't have any work in that area. But, um, you know, we do wait for the local brothers to come and to feel called into those areas. But, you know, um, as we have been traveling and, and, you know, and we see brothers come to us with a heart to reach their people, um, you know, it seems sometimes like it's impossible. Like, is, you know, will anybody come to know the Lord because there is such a stronghold and such an oppression in the area? I'm reminded of, of a city called Ambala where actually we're building a village school right now, but seven years ago we could not have even entered that village. And, um, you know, the Lord speaks to us in Galatians 6 9, and it says, Let us not be weary for doing good, for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And that scripture has really ministered to us because um, as we stand with these local brothers, um, it was, it was you know, they did not want Christians in their village at all. But our pastor there said, you know, I think that we can reach the women if we do a sewing center. And um, so we, we stood with him and we helped him open a sewing center. And now the women that come to these sewing centers, they're Hindu, but they have to sit through Bible study and prayer every day. So after 10 months of study, most of them come to know Christ. And sure enough, and this in this particular sewing center in Ambala, most of them did come to know the Lord. And um, what we did during the graduation, um, you know, we always present them with a brand new sewing machine as a gift. We actually invited the village president, who was a Hindu, would you present these women with a, a sewing machine? I mean, it's a gift from our ministry, but would you would you present that? And God really showed us wisdom in that because as He came to present these women. I mean, all of the villagers came, and they all participated. And even today in this village, if we have a baptism service, it's the unbelievers that are arranging it and saying, okay, you sit here, and the baptism will be over here. So, you know, it's it's just amazing how the Lord works. But, um, you know, we do... We do find those people at peace, and we have to persevere in doing good and not give up because you never know how the Lord is going to work in those yeah. areas. That is so awesome. He's so faithful. And mm-hmm. I know how many times he's gone before me and helped me just build uh, bridges and relationships. And so you, especially when you go into a different culture, there's um, people who may not trust you, a lot of people who don't know Jesus. And um, so as you guys have been going... Um, through their ministry, how has he been helping you build bridges with people uh, who might not trust you? I know you just shared something great about Ambala, but is there any other stories that you could tell us about that? Sure. I wanted to share um, this scripture, Romans twelve fourteen through 16. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. And that has spoken to us so much because if we go in and we say, hey, we know it all, you know, we're Christian, 
but we don't. You know, we try to meet them where they are, you know, weep with those who weep and, and rejoice with those who rejoice. And, you know, the Lord has really used that. Um, even when Dinesh came to know Christ, you know, he didn't go home and he didn't say, okay, family, I'm a Christian now. I'm not going to participate in your Hindu festivals. But, um, you know, he didn't go home for the Hindu festivals. And he also, he didn't go and say, hey, I'm a Christian now. He just showed, um, he just showed himself as a changed person. And once somebody came up to his father and says, well, do you know what you're son did? Do you know how he has disgraced the family that he's turned away from his Hindu heritage? And um, Dinesh's father said, well, I don't know about that, but I just know I have a better son today than I ever had. (laughs) And so, you know, that's really how we encourage people that come to know Christ is just to let Christ shine through you. And, um, and, and that way we can really meet other people. Um, you know, one way that we have kind of bridged the gap, I would say, is that, you know, the Hindu idols all have weapons. And the Hindu people live in a lot of fear of their gods and their idols. That if they don't worship them, if they don't appease them, they're going to bring destruction on them. And we say, you know, line up all those Hindu idols and then put Christ there. Now, who would you want to follow? Wouldn't you want to follow Christ who brings peace and grace and love? And, you know, we help them to kind of think and question themselves about what they're really worshiping and what they're following. And so that has helped us. And, you know, as we have um, just been a light in that area, um, I'm reminded of our neighbor who, um, you know, where we live, where our ministry center is, it actually, many years ago, it used to be a place where the British would keep their stable and their horses, and there's a lot of fear on the street that um, the Hindus believe that these horses come out at night, these evil evil spirits come out at night, and so they close their windows and their doors, and I'm on the terrace many times staring at the stars, yeah. and, you know, but they're all, like, locked in their house, but as they've shared this with us, you know, we just say, oh, we don't have that fear, you know, we have, we, we just believe in Christ, and so um, we didn't know. I mean, here we're talking about high caste people, upper class people, you know, who are business businessmen. And um, one of our neighbors that got diagnosed with a heart disease, and he remembered at that time, you know, I remember Dinesh and Rachel and how they pray for people, and, and I'm going to call on him. And so he called my husband, and he said, you know, I've been diagnosed with this heart disease, and I have to go for surgery um, to another town. And would you pray for me because you know, and, and they had had many tests to confirm that. Well, um, we prayed for him and, and Dinesh said, well, before you get the, the, before you get the surgery, just have them test it one more time. And he called us from the hospital in this next town. And he said, you know, I'm healed. And, you know, I mean, he hasn't come to know the Lord yet, but you know what, those are all seeds that are planted. And we just wait to hear, you know, how people like that do come to know the Lord, even as we pray for them. And we're just obedient with what God's called us to. We're obedient to be a light in the darkness. And um, once there was a pediatrician and he couldn't get his um, own daughter to go to sleep. And he called and he, somebody told him, well, you should call this guy because he prays for people. And he called my husband and he said, I'm a pediatrician and I can't find anything medical wrong with my daughter um could you could you just pray for her because i heard that you pray for people and as my husband was praying over the phone with the pediatrician he said the phone was like a lead it was so heavy and he felt like it was definitely a spiritual thing and he prayed and and the next morning he called us and he said it was the first time in weeks that she had slept through the night and so these are just ways that the god god moves and um, allows us as we are obedient to what he has called us to in that area Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, Rachel, as we're doing mission right where, right where we are, as we are all God's missionaries, God's ambassadors, can you speak into that for us a little bit? Because we're not all called to go to India, but we are all called to be a missionary right where we are. So can you give us some, 
some wisdom on that? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, in in India, you, you know, if you're a plumber, you're, if your parents are a plumber, then you become a plumber. If you're a doctor, if your parents are a doctor, then you become a doctor. And so you always inherit what what ministry you're, or what, what work your parents had. And my kids will sometimes question, well, do, do you know, do you expect us to kind of take on this ministry when, when um, you move on? And, you know, we always say, no, you know, God has an individual call on your life. And I would just encourage you here today, you know, God, I mean, being a foreign missionary is no greater than what God can call you to right here. And even with my own kids, I always say, you know, just seek the Lord and know what he has, he has for you because he has a special call for each one of us. And as we um, just open up our hearts to listen, to hear what he he has for us and then we're obedient to walk through with that and you know the lord brings missionaries like he brought missionaries to me just to encourage me that yes i'm I'm doing what i need to be doing and you know he blesses that and and he will bless that yeah thank you thank you rachel well i just encourage you all to really continue to press in and pray for rachel and dinesh i know when we came back as a team i had said several times i had never been in such a heavy spiritual battle, such a demonic um, atmosphere, and it took us a while to recuperate and rest once we got back, and so pray for them, because they're living in that. They're in that environment all the time, but our prayers are powerful, and we can encourage them and support them from right where we are. But also, God has called this church to be a community-changing church, a world-changing church, and we, I, I just can't be happier to be a part of this body and to see what you guys are doing. Every month we have people out there ministering all over our community, in shelters, in AIDS hospice houses, in nursing homes, in food shelves. We have dozens, dozens of Bridgewoodians that are out there really making a difference and ministering in the love of Christ. And God brought us an amazing project recently. And I'm still just in awe of who he is. But he brought a beautiful woman, Bibi. She's with us today. She, her and her sons have been, have been attending Bridgewood for some time now. But God brought Bibi into my life. And Bibi has three sons, Matthew, Joshua, and David. And they were living in a very, very dangerous situation. Bibi's husband died. She's had four heart attacks, now unable to work. But these hardworking people who had always, always uh, done everything they could to provide for their family have been in a real crisis. And when we found out the condition of their home, many of you out here came together and you prayed and you sought God. And miraculously, God provided the money and we bought a new home. Bibi closed on her new house last Monday. And there's many, yeah, praise God. There's many ways for you to practically still get involved. But first of all, I want you to see Bibi's video. Hi, my name is Bibi. I have three grown sons that live with me. I have all three of them are disabilities, but one I have severely is disabled. And I lost their their father in the year 2005. And I've been trying to keep this house up by myself, holding down two jobs, 
trying to keep everything up to capacity as best as I could. About a year and a half ago, I had a heart attack, and that would be my fourth heart attack that I've had. And I'm, my health is getting worse because of the house. that keep us warm in the winter and in the summer we have about four or five fans. But since our electrical outlets burned up on us, we're limited on electricity. Diane's stores kept plugging away, kept plugging away, and people in your congregation was nice enough to help us out and donate money to get us into a new house. And we're very grateful for everything that the church has done for us and the people that donated the money. And I especially, I appreciate the Lord for listening and keeping me with the faith. I didn't give up my faith and I kept believing somebody was going to help What an amazing God we have. I have always been so impacted by the words in the Bible that talk about the body of Christ. And it says when one is suffering, we're all suffering. And when one is rejoicing, we should all rejoice with that person. And as people in this church have come together, we've seen miracles happen. And I believe with everything in me that we are called to come shoulder to shoulder and change this world for Jesus. Whether it's to bring one more person to the Lord in Himachal Pradesh. Or whether it's to help a neighbor that lives two miles from our back door. And I just want to challenge all of us today. You know, sometimes when you look at need, it can seem overwhelming. But I always go back to Mother, what Mother Teresa said. And I often think about this every single day of my life. And she said, we're not called to love the whole world. We're called to love the one in front of us. And there's a lot of ways that we can love that one in front of us. I've seen you on outreach I've seen you press in to know more about Jesus. I've seen you get more vulnerable as you've come to the altars with your fears and really shared your burdens with each other and with the Lord. God is moving mightily in our midst. We still need money for some remodeling on this house. And there's a basket by the door. And I ask that you just really seek the Lord today. And is is he calling you? 
to financially seed into Bibi and her son's lives. This Saturday, we have a remodeling party and painting and cleaning, and we're going to have fun. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby. Please, come and help. And then the following Saturday, we're going to move the family in. Mark and his huddle are going to come and grill for us, which should be a good enough reason to come, but also um, just a time to fellowship and to bless this family. So you can make your checks to Bridgewood, BCC, for Bibi and her family. The other thing is Rachel and her family make this awesome goat milk soap. Smells so good, it comes in all different fragrances. And this is how they um, earn their money as they're traveling around. So their expenses are covered by this. I bought for everybody in my family and then some. But the good thing is, I heard that this is what Cleopatra bathed in, and it's going to make you look much younger, so I'm taking two showers a day from now on. (laughs) Also, please sew into Rachel and Dinesh's ministry. Checks can be made to A-N-M. There's also a basket by the door for them. So please ask God what you should give. Over and above that, it's now time for our regular offerings and our tithes. And as the word says... We bring those. We don't give them. We bring them. We're just bringing back a portion of what God has blessed us with. So bless you today. Bless all the moms here.